Welcome back to Being Invested with me, Susanna Nicklin. This is the podcast about the personal stories of the people who make the markets. For today's episode, start by imagining the wind in your face, pulling anchor and sailing to unknown shores. My guest is Marine Malinson, data tech business builder and now an investor in mental health care innovations. Today's episode takes us on a journey of bold adventuring and then returning with focused attention to what is most meaningful and essential. I've always been fascinated by how skilled investors have become who they are, how they've ridden the roller coasters, and what it means to them. Marin reflects on the excitement and empowerment of entrepreneurship in Asia, the value of taking time to pause and pay attention, and how grief has led her to purpose. She is passionate and intentional about finding new and scaled solutions for people suffering with mental health globally and those around them. I found it refreshing and thought-provoking to talk with Marin about her life and to hear the coherence of her own personal story with the work she's doing. I very much hope you enjoy the conversation too. The mindset of being invested can enrich and elevate your journey, and I hope this podcast will encourage more people into the sector who may not have considered it before. Thank you for joining me, and if you like it, please stay tuned for future episodes with riveting conversations full of insights into the careers, life hacks, and hard-won lessons of investors across the globe. I'm delighted to be joined today by Marine Malinson. Marine grew up in the west of France, the eldest of six children, where her father ran an esteemed and successful eye hospital. At 17, she left home and headed to Paris for university at Inalco to study Japanese and then a master's in economics and finance at Sciences Po. At the time, there were military service roles offered by French firms overseas, and upon graduating, she applied for an analyst role in Tokyo at the investment bank Paribas. That launched her long career in Asia. From there, her entrepreneurial instincts kicked in. She ran the editorial team of a Japanese publishing house and began to see the valuable growth opportunities in business intelligence and digital applications. Later, she co-founded several data-driven businesses, including a social network for cancer patients in China and an international video Q&A platform. She successfully sold two of her businesses while living in Hong Kong, a business data platform and an Asia-wide business expert platform. She met her English husband in Hong Kong and they moved back to the UK in 2018. Marine is a founding trustee of the Asia Society in France and is now dedicated to supporting mental health as an angel investor, board member, and advisor to the Noetic Fund based in Canada. She is passionate about neuroscience and innovation in mental health. She speaks four languages and has three children. Marine, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Susanna. (laughs) Wonderful to have you. So Marine, we could go in so many directions because you are a woman of many facets. And I think from our conversations uh, before, I've noticed that you reflect, diffract and refract ideas and experiences in some incredibly thoughtful and original ways. So I thought we might just start with you, um, and I'd love us, you might know from my or other listeners um, of this have 
might know that I'm quite interested in the image that guides us of ourselves. And if you have a personal narrative that has given you some stability or direction as you've made your life choices and um, how that's been cultivated, if we could start with that rather big question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is a big question. But I, I guess if we boiled it down to an image, a picture, um, and of course, that that is also colored by a lot of different uh, experiences in my life, but also the, the time I'm in right now. But let, let, let's just go there. And I, I think it would be uh, the image of um, an adventurer with a smile on her face, something along those lines, maybe on a boat with, you know, wind in my hair, looking far away on the horizon line, <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> those uh, those uh, those uh, those those lines but uh, i think the sense of of the, the knowledge that i could be uh, an adventurer that i could be free mm-hmm. of exploring um you know which i have done all 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 across my life i think uh, exploration a physical one by by living overseas and moving far away from different homes that I created uh, but also um exploring in terms of the innovation that I've had the chance to either witness or 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 build Mm, what a wonderful uh, image I can almost sort of taste the salt you see the white hair in the wind right (laughs) (laughs) I I can I can feel the thrill the, the the potential risk the excitement the the beckoning other shores it's a wonderful image it feels elemental. Well, probably also uh, influenced by my name. <laughs> ah, Which, yes. Of course, <laughs> has to do with the sea and, you know. So maybe I was just, you know, I had no choice. <laughs> How interesting. We do often have some guidance from what we're called, don't we? Now, there's a hmm. word for that, aptonym, where people who are named things tend to go into fields like that. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So I didn't realize that Marine and Marine uh, were were you know that your name came from the the nautical. Yeah. How interesting! And did you spend much time on boats growing up, or is it more <laughs> a metaphor? <laughs> you know, it it definitely is a metaphor because although I love the sea, uh, I love uh, you know the seaside. I love to be on the sea, in the sea. Um, I was certainly trained or groomed to be very much a sailor. My father is, you know, is 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 big family of sailors. Um, I I actually, um, what's the word in English? I skipped secretly all the classes that my parents <laughs> were paying for, uh, going on and learning to be, uh, you know, on on little boats and you know bigger boats. Uh, I literally, and I, I think I paid my cousins at the time also to not say anything. You know, I bribed them in some way. I can't remember exactly. It probably wasn't hard money, but some sort of sweets or, or, you know, uh, yeah. something. But uh, yeah, I definitely, I was, I did not want to go through all that lava. Um, and so, no. And what, what did not, you do instead of the sailing? <laughs> But you During know what that time when you were I actually I read I read ah. I, I there was a place uh, at my grandmother's house 
uh, that was kind of a little secret place um, in the garden where you could literally hide from everyone. And uh, that's where I went when I was skipping the sailing classes. That's really interesting insight. I have to say we share um, a little, there's a bit of common ground there or, or common water uh, because my father is also a really good sailor and gave me plenty, plenty of opportunities to become a good sailor. Um, and I basically became a really good jib line holder. Um, <laughs> that's about all I did. <laughs> so, well, that is, that is something, Susanna. <laughs> that is definitely something but it is Can you imagine that tagline for you <laughs> yeah the jib line holder yeah yes. <laughs> if you need one call on me yeah. um but reading in the um uh sort of in a nook or a safe hidey mm. hole sounds very appealing I think I would have joined you there if I had been in <laughs> western France when you were there um so that's that's a wonderful image to start with. And as you're setting off and journeying into your life, you ended up in finance and investing. And it's interesting because you've come to investing through building businesses largely. And right. you know, maybe just talk a little bit about what that lived experience of building those businesses was like and did you know you were setting out to do that when you left left shore, when you left France and headed uh, to Asia? No, not at all. I I think I've I've never had a very clearly defined outcome of you know the things I ended up doing. Um, I think that the the reality for me is more akin to doing first. So I get into things. I just jump at the end of, you know, um, I, I just throw myself into things. Um, and then I just fiddle with whatever I'm doing and I I, 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 I uh, do the wrong things and I learn from them and I start again. And, you know, so I'm, I'm very much an experimental person in that regard. So mm. I, I've never really said, you know, at 25, this will happen. At 35, this will happen. And, you know, I, I very much ventured. It's, it's the continuity of that image. I ventured into things all my life. Um, uh, as much as I ventured into, you know, falling in love and, and having children and, and um, friendships and it's never really by design, but I think there is, uh, there has always been something in me that was uh, driving me to wanting to just try new things. And, and the fact that they were new always had an appeal. So I've never really enjoyed uh, following the trends or um, which is incidentally, I think what took me away from drugs when I grew up because you know I, I had I had friends around me and, and and a first boyfriend in fact who you know were very much daily uh consumers of drugs and and I was not interested in doing any of that not because of the I, I think the more usual reasons why people don't get into it but really it was because I didn't want to do what others were doing. Mm. And I think that that has certainly um also been a force in many of the things that i i 
uh, ended up doing, including taking the wrong turns. Huh? I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's perfectly it's perfectly viable to do the same things as others. But um, so you know, I did plenty. I took plenty of wrong turns as a result of that. But I think anything that had a glimmer of you know something that would be uh, novel, not. Uh, well known to me for sure, but also that could um, be at the frontier and, and pioneering something, you know, just innovating, I think was always part of what I wanted to do together with that exploration. Mm. Um, so there was a, a purpose to the exploration that was one of building first mm. and also sometimes, not always, but sometimes innovating. And do you think that to innovate does start from a a contrarian streak like you know do you think you have to be somewhat discontent with how everybody else is doing things well I think there's curiosity to start with for sure a generally curious mind uh but also the I I think that probably some element of yeah I don't want to be repeating things that have already been done or I just don't want to follow mm-hmm. um but but there is also, I think, just simply a sense of um, the excitement of discovery. You know, it's like, you know, I'm going to do or see or understand or, or, or you know, something that did not before, whatever yeah. the verb was before that, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that's always been pretty exciting. Um, and when I, when I in, in the investments I do now, which are entirely um, dedicated to mental health outcomes, there is that innovation is in full flow, right? Because um, it's absolutely the, a place and a time now to be innovative, not necessarily by, you have different ways to, to innovate, right? You can, you can just uh, serve uh, more innovatively uh, a user group that uh, is already being served, but you just do it more innovatively, right? Uh, or you can just invent something that people don't know they need. Obviously, that's that's perhaps the the the, the biggest of of innovation. But but there is also um, in science the, the the sort of pure pure science and pure innovation, which may not be thinking about how it can be applied to a particular user group, right? And and in mental health, you need to do all of the above. You know, you need to think about um, the. The, the science, the fundamental novelty of molecules and, you know, how you can suddenly find in nature things that can be helping with psychosis. and But you also need to think, uh, at least in what I do in terms of innovation uh, with a sort of, you know, investment um, at, at the heart of it, uh, you need to think about how it's going to be used and who's going to pay for it. Mm. Right. And, and, and you aim to think big, you aim to think in terms of, you know, millions of people being able to access that innovation. So that's, you know, that's a more channeled, purposeful, um, innovative um, streak that I think I've had all my life. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and while you were in Asia, initially doing your investment banking work, and then moving into a role in publishing, um, coming back to books, finding a way back to books there. Yeah. Uh, and you then 
actually saw an opportunity to build something yourself that was Mm -hmm. emergent from what was going on in data tech and, Mm -hmm. and the networks that you were building. What was that? What was that like to actually build a business uh, in Asia, far from your original home and mm. in a very dynamic space where lots was changing very quickly? You were doing things for the first time. Well, I think I was able to, I felt I was able to do it uh, because I was not in my home country, because I was in Asia, where the culture of entrepreneurship, the appetite for Many people of you know uh, different uh, walks of lives and 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 uh, uh, experiences was was welcoming. You know there there were pe- people in Asia, in particular in Hong Kong and in Japan too, actually, but probably more so in Hong Kong and China. Um, people see entrepreneurs well, right? It's quite, when I was, you know, uh, I was uh, 30 then, you know, it was, uh, it was very cool to be an entrepreneur. I could certainly not say that of um, France when I would have been 30 if I had been there. I mean, now things have changed. Obviously, we're allegedly uh, a startup nation, although that still <laughs> remains to be uh, seen. But um, I think... Back then, if you were an entrepreneur, it's basically because chances were you failed at school, right? So it wasn't the the, the traditional classic sort of you know way. Um, and in Asia, it was the, the the opposite. There was like you know, well, of course you're gonna just go and start your business, and here is the money, and um, you know who you're gonna talk to first, and who do you want to team up with, and you know, there's a, a sort of energy and and uh, of something is more obvious, I guess, to do it. So because I was in Asia, I think I was able to do it probably earlier than I would have if I had stayed in Europe. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's one thing. Um, and and then I think because Asia is, you know, even even when I say Asia, it's a bit silly, right? Because yeah. there is no such thing as Asia, uh, as as we well know, there is many countries in Asia and within each of these countries, you have many cultures talking to each other and and making lives uh, with each other, right? So uh, there is no such thing as one Asia, but uh, it it did feel like there was a frame around something big. Mm -hmm. So there was still, again, this, this, this notion that if I started a business, I could do it for Asia. Right. It wasn't just going to be like one country or, you know, one geography. There was still a sense of mm-hmm. I can I can be that adventurer again. You know, I can explore all these shores. It was never going to be just one market in my mind at the beginning. Anyway, it was always and my role before I became an entrepreneur was pan Asia anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and a lot of businesses back then were organized with, you know, Asia versus the rest of the world or Asia X Japan. And, 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 you know, so there was already a very clear frame around in a business sense around what those markets were. And, you know, we would all fly all the time and, you know, go to all these places very easily. So the mobility also was a big part of, you know, feeling that you could talk to 
someone in Indonesia and then consider an Indian market and then consider a Malaysian market and you know, and so on mm. and so forth. So that was so you were constantly adapting to the differences of the of the cultures within Asia, but actually because you were out of your home territory, there was almost a freedom or greater sense of possibility to do something really big That's and exactly different. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because I think as a foreigner in Asia, and I say that saying again, you know, it's it's a bit of a uh, theoretical construct because uh, a Vietnamese could say he or she was an Asia, you know, a foreigner in Asia as well, right? I mean, it's it's not just a question of your ethnicity, but um, because I was a foreigner to many of these cultures uh, in Asia, and I also, and I think that's the important thing uh, going forward, is because I knew who I was, I never felt like I had to lose myself into all this diversity. Mm. I felt, on the contrary, that I had much to learn to complement that self that I was quite mm. clear about already, but it felt like I was like an open recipient of something and you know I was very welcoming of all this diversity and and this different approaches to lots of things but it's again it's this appetite it's this curiosity um, but not at the risk of losing myself not at the risk of having to adapt so much that I forget you know what works for me and what I'd like to do and how I like to interact with people so that's fascinating, that strong sense of self that you brought with you and a real appetite for growing from that, but not changing that in a way. Mm-hmm. What do you think for those of us who haven't lived in one of those countries or spent as much time and now as the thought of change you know, over the last 20 years in terms of um, lots of different ways are west-east relations have gone um but what did you what did you bring back when you came back to the UK with you that maybe you didn't have when you were there what what about living and working in that part of the world or maybe it was more from the actual adventures that you you know individually had the Mm -hmm. unique experiences that you had Mm -hmm. but were there what was the 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 growth that you would you know sort of look back on and think well I, I if I were somebody going new to that region what would I potentially grow in a way that you wouldn't if you were staying in this sure. part of the world yeah I so I think I always had things that where I could also find pretty much every day in Asia uh, in certainly with uh, in in the people I was working with but so th- those two things would be uh, hard working mentality and discipline so I think those two things are very actually quite common across the different countries I worked with in Asia and is again you know there are sort of attitudes that or or some might even call them values that were quite prevalent um, in in the work environment that I had. Uh, So that I probably already had a bit of that when I came to Asia, but certainly Asia 
my experiences in Asia allowed me to sort of nurture that mm. uh, in 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 a perhaps a slightly more gentler way than mm. you know if I had stayed in France where it was a little bit more the hard you know the hard way of like you know you work you work you work you're you're diligent you're disciplined but without necessarily an awful lot of joy attached to it whereas in asia i think i learned to uh you know continue to do all those things but with more ability to um also add to that i suppose a sense of time that mm. it was i really learned this this notion in asia that uh, you don't have to accumulate, precipitate, just aim for things, thrive for things, you know, just work hard to get things done. It, it, there is a sort of more gentle way to get things done without giving away the discipline and the hard work. But there is a, a notion of being able to pause, being able to uh, take pleasure in the little things of everyday life. Um, does that make sense? It really does. You know? What came to me just now was actually some resemblance to at least a stereotype of um, some aspects of French culture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in contrast to, say, maybe British or American culture. Yeah. But it was but a good I, environment I so. for you. It seems Yes, to... it certainly, it certainly was. And, you know, and it's so rich and colorful and mm-hmm. And it, you know, and it, 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 it's, you, you, you get, you know, smacked in the face and you get, you know, shout out and, you know, it's not, it's not all Zen, no? not at all. It's, it's very vibrant in that way. Um, uh, again, Asia as a, as, a, as a whole, which is maybe which not, is maybe construct. not such a thing, but yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, so I've, I, that, that really suited me very well, that vibrancy, that sort of, constant momentum uh, of the places I, I was working uh, uh, in uh, in Asia but also yeah a, a sense that you could you could just live play work all at the same time as you were building your businesses were you working with investors were there investors in your businesses and mm-hmm. were what was it like being the recipient of investment at that point and what did you learn from that well yes uh there were investors in all my businesses what did i learn from that is that asking for money is uh is an integral part of running a business as a startup, you know, uh, as a startup, as an entrepreneur, uh, that you shouldn't, you should try to enjoy it because it's bloody hard mm. <laughs> and it's constant. And once you've, you know, raised a, a first round, you're almost starting the second one. Um, and you have to do all this whilst you do all the rest, right? So it is, um, it is something you have to find ways to enjoy. So for me, the ways to enjoy that was that um, I would split with the team in small tasks of things that I would prefer to do when it came to that whole equation of raising money. So I, I do enjoy and I still enjoy um, convincing people that, you know, their money will be well spent in A, B, C, D. Uh, and so I would do that part, but I would try not to get to the part where 
I'd have to follow up on those or I would have to um, identify which person to talk to within organization ABCD and things like that, which, you know, is is absolutely all part of the funnel, right? But I just would try to identify and discuss it with the teams like, okay, this is what, and, and that, you know, I, I want to be doing the convincing part, but not the rest. Or um, I, uh, within this company, I prefer to talk to person A or person B. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we'd have to go at it, you know, in, in a sort of pair, mm-hmm. um, you know, good cop, bad cop kind of act. But mm-hmm. um, so it was really about trying to find the, the stuff I would enjoy in this grilling exercise, mm-hmm. basically. And when I say enjoy, it had to do with the fact that I thought I could be good at it as well right um mm. uh, it's it's frustrating enough it's up and down enough to be an entrepreneur so when i i i just always try to find the things that i know i can you know enjoy the process of even if the outcome is not there what were the skills that you felt that you really needed to do that well well uh i i i sometimes uh, call this a sort of uh healthy denial you know mm-hmm. i think you just have to to be in denial honestly to be a, <laughs> an entrepreneur especially when a young woman in tech world in china right i mean it's just like it's not the most obvious <laughs> place to be so uh, almost trying to build see all of the reasons not to do things yeah, it, yeah. yeah for sure exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly mm-hmm. that's a better way to put it uh, susanna but yeah, and then it has you have to turn into to something that is healthy and that mm-hmm. is you know uh, conducive of building and 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 getting people to join you in that great big adventure, right? And and to consistently to continue to deliver on the promise of the first day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, whatever gets thrown at you. And did you find the investors? helpful on your journey what would we're going to get on to how you become an investor and the investments you're making but I'm interested to know what you learned from either the good or the bad aspects so the frustrating or or relieving aspects of working with those investors back then sure well there I think the the frustrating stuff is that um you spend a lot of time going after the wrong investor sometimes, right? Mm. And you don't necessarily know that until there's no real sort of uh, rational Excel spreadsheet-y way of sort of finding out whether you're wasting your time or not, right? Because yeah, you can't type into Crunchbase, should I raise money from this investor? <laughs> Indeed. In, I wish you could, but, <clears throat> you know, that day will come, but it certainly wasn't there when I was in, in the trenches. So there is that. And also, I think it, it's part of the learning you have to do, you know, to sort of get and meet the the the, the, the wrong guys because there's still something to take from that, right? They'll be asking at least one out of the 10 questions would be one that you actually bring back to your business and think, actually, that was a bloody good question. Mm-hmm. You know, are we addressing that internally? You know, yeah. so yeah. even if you, you know, you have had an hour meeting with someone who's going to tell you not only, no, I'm not giving you the money, but uh second uh you're a bit of an idiot to be trying to tackle what you're tackling so it it's just uh i think there's always something useful to mm-hmm. to to take out of those things but so i wish i had 
perhaps learn a little bit faster or better to sort of, you know, know who to talk to and or how to sort of um, shorten a meeting if I know that there's nothing there. But, you know, you're you're always hopeful. And anyway, you also always need the money. So you kind of this gets in the way of being a bit clear minded sometimes. Right. Um, I've never had. I've always had very good investors in that they were very supportive of the big plans and then the granular stuff when I would ask them to also be at that level. So, you know, uh, they they say, for example, on the cancer patient um, social network in, in China, uh, it was a very bold, wacky idea um, to just ignore everything that every other tech startup was doing at the time, which is telemedicine or, you know, something like that. And I just thought, no, we need to harness the power of peer to peer. And that's if we tag along, you know, uh, AI to the data we gather from the peer to peer, we're going to do something pretty interesting. And so the investors at the time, they believed in that great vision that they saw it definitely. Um, but there were times when I needed, you know, to sort of be able to sort of plug a particular kind of machine learning, you know, into a particular group of, you know, a patient, for example. And then I, I didn't really know which, you know, learning to use there. Then at least one of them came and said, you know, I think we should be use, utilizing, utilizing this. So it's that kind of granularity sometimes that, you know, my investors were able to, to, to give. But also, frankly, it's the it's the moral support, mm-hmm. you know, it's the like, okay, well, you're, you haven't hit your, you know, target, you know, let's look at that. And um, can we help? Yeah. Or should you think about something differently? Or, you know, so that, that, uh, and then the simple, basic, uh, you know, almost having big arms open when you want to have a little, you know, a little wobble. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's it's th- these are for me were the great investors right the people who believed because they believed in the vision they were able to not be you know narrow minded about the little things um but i think sometimes i would have probably <laughs> uh liked to have investors with me who were a little bit more challenging of some of the decisions we were making perhaps in a you know in a constructive way but I think that would have been helpful in my journey. Interesting. So, and what are you most proud of having done when you were working there, building those businesses? And what what about all of those things that you did that you look back on and you're really really proud of doing? Um, I think I'm proud. Proud is it's funny because actually that that word I have that conversation with my children often. But, you know, if it, as an American, when you use the word proud, you mean something that's slightly different from what I would mean as, as a French or, or as a Asianized French. Mm. But uh, so I think I am, I am very, I'm profoundly happy and um, grateful for all of the businesses that I have set up, including the ones who failed. I think I, I I I look back at them and think, well, it was never a given that I would try another business after having failed one or after having sold one, right? So yeah. I am I am grateful and really happy that I was always keeping that fire going and that you know innovative uh, you know explorer spirit and that mm-hmm. I wanted to keep trying uh, to build things. Um, 
the the thing I'm I'm probably the happiest about is the people I've built it with, right? Because again, I, all 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 sizes, shapes, and 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 you know everything in between uh, were the people who accompanied me on these different adventures, and I've learned a huge amount from them. Um, I hope they have learned from me. Um, I think I've inspired them to also do their own businesses um, uh, over time. Uh, and so that that kind of human glue, that kind of human you know dimension is um, is gold. Mm-hmm. and it keeps giving, right? Mm-hmm. So that that I really I'm really very happy about. I wouldn't use the word proud, but I'm very, very happy about that. What I am uh, perhaps proud of, and I can use that word, is that when my uh, children come to me, and I have two girls and one boy, um, and they say, since they were quite young, so mama, what do you do? You know, uh, you know, at, at school we have this talk about, you know, what our parents, da, 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 and like, I don't know what you do. Can you explain it to me? And so I explain it to them. And anyway but that was when they were small but still now that i've changed my career and i'm an investor um they still you know i had that conversation a few weeks ago with my younger son which is like so exactly what do you do again mm-hmm. it's changed right so mm-hmm. so what is it so i think the fact that i remain for them uh, a reference of someone who reinvents mm-hmm. herself mm-hmm. Who is curious who keeps doing and building, who seems to be um, energized and excited about throwing herself into new things is a good, is something I'm proud of because, you know, I think it's good for them to grow up with a reference of someone who just tries things and get things done and uh, with a bit of fun along the way. And, you know, I think what I hear is that there's an attentiveness, there's an aliveness. And uh, I love the fact that, you know, you even question the word proud, you know, there's a, there's a, 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 a wanting of, of precision and honesty and uh, accuracy of that experience. And it seems like that's really important. And your ability to understand what it is that you're feeling and the the you know, the the essence of what it is that you're doing um mm. comes through actually well thank thank you for for uh, noticing this uh, Susanna and saying this because i think it it has become something uh very important to me it was not always the case uh, but I, I try now to be more attentive to everything I do, to how I think, to how I eat, to the people I meet, to to how I spend my time, right? Uh, and so that attention, I think, has been uh, long-suffering mm-hmm. in that I was not always very attentive to others uh, and, and I was not always very attentive to um, perhaps how I would do things or why I would do things. I was a little bit, I think for a good chunk of my life, I was in precipitation mode, right? Mm -hmm. I was in accumulation mode. Mm -hmm. I was in just, okay, if it doesn't work, we just try something else. And, you know, um, whereas now I'm a lot more, I'm taking, again, I'm going back to what this time in Asia has taught me, which is 
to 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 make time, mm. to know when to pause, uh, to 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 have the discipline of doing that. It's 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 almost you know, uh, it it is a practice. It is mm. a practice paying attention, um, and that that just really works for me now. Uh, and so you know, I I I have um, completely unplugged from a lot of the noise and the distraction that I was submitting myself uh, to before. So for the last three years, I subscribe to uh, no news feed of any sort. I don't do any social media except a little bit of LinkedIn because it serves uh, the cause of, you know, bringing more investment to mental health. Um, But that's it. And when I uh, want to spend time, with someone I try to do it in long chunks of time so I don't have 10 minutes conversation or 30 minutes meetings or I just try to have long meetings with people um, spend with friends a day uh, if, if, if they can you know so I just really I've stretched quite substantially in chunks of time of the attention that I I I I, I yeah, I, I give uh, and I gain really mm. as a result as well. So um, this is uh, this is what I do a little bit better now. It's fascinating how you talk about time and how much you honor that and the you know the, the really intentionality around using it. The setting the boundaries of time ahead of ahead of seeing somebody the extending it from short to long and what that achieves you know it gives Mm. you depth Uh, and I really I really like that I think about that a lot Um, and and I think a lot of the people around us are 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 starved you know from mm. that tension or just simply the, that that sort of little capsule of time that it gives everyone, right? So you don't have to fill that time with lots of exciting conversations sometimes, you know, it's just like walking together in a park and, you know, just not saying anything to each other, but just being mm-hmm. there together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there is, we have so badly used the time we have on this earth uh, at you know, it helps to just, for me, anyway, it helps to do that. Yeah. So let's talk about that transition back. It sounds like there almost has been a transition from a period of your life of really doing, of expansion, adventure, uh, creation, to maybe now a period where you're investing. I mean, it is actually both a metaphor and and actually mm-hmm. what you're doing um, of uh, facilitating and um, uh, focusing and the passion and intentionality of your purpose being mental health. And in some ways you've traveled a long way to come back home uh, because you grew up in a family of, of medics, your father was an eye surgeon, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And you maybe even at one stage in your life thought about, or at least there was an expectation that you might become a doctor yourself. Uh, so healthcare has been a theme throughout your life, but recently you've come back to 
really throwing yourself into understanding the innovations in neuroscience and understanding and and finding ways to lend your skills um, and contribute to that. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what what you um, hope to achieve and and what you're doing right now with that? Mm. I think there are several uh, ways to answer that question, Susanna, because there is an intention which is uh, one of scale and and you know impact. Uh, I suppose to be able to bring um, the best possible solutions to people who suffer from mental health globally. That's a rather ambitious intention, but that's one I'm I'm very committed to helping with. Uh, And then there is a more perhaps personal one, which is that um, it's my purpose. I, I absolutely know that at this point in my life, that's the only thing that makes sense professionally, right? Because uh, it's the best time to be investing in mental health innovation. And we can talk about that a bit later. Um, And it is also in complete uh, cohesion with what I have experienced in my personal life. So, you know, I came, my my brother um, killed himself almost 10 years ago and he was schizophrenic. And it took me that time, you know, the, all those years to grieve properly. And I'm coming out of that grieving with, with that, that purpose, that sort of very clear, obvious um, uh, sense that we badly need innovation when it comes to, you know, helping people who suffer uh, and helping the people who help them as well. Mm. Um, and their families and, and and everyone who gets in contact with them because what people don't say about mental health is that it is contagious de facto, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who has had um, someone in their lives who suffered from mental health knows that deeply. You know, it's it's a, it's it, it absolutely creates uh, chaos in people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the one. Who is um, the one diagnosed with with a within illness? And you're right; so, it really is not discussed that way. No, no, it's it's hardly ever discussed that way, and 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 understandably because you know people don't want to think about it that way. It's it's bad enough as it is, but then if you add a multiple, you know, of contagious factor to the dire crisis we find ourselves in already, it's it's pretty bad, right? So. Um, but so at a personal level, there's that. And I have a sister who 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 um, is bipolar and the same thing. You know, she's she's extremely courageous and go through life uh, with something that is literally up and down in terms of how she can operate. And there is certain now she's tried a lot of different treatments and nothing works. Right. So. Uh, there is an urgency uh, at that level for me at a very personal level. Um, but also, as I said, if you look at the fundamentals and, and if you're an investor, you think in terms of fundamentals, like what do I see that justifies um, the the vision that I, you know, or the purpose that I see to that money, right? And, and the fundamentals are strong, you know, um, a very uh, high awareness, 
about mental health pretty much everywhere, including in countries where we would not expect it to be. Things from the central nervous system, so the neuro at large, but also the immuno and the endocrino and, you know, the very physical um, uh, somatic, you know, body level uh, of, of, of knowledge as well. So that's converging, sort of creates sort of system psychiatry, if you want, that is looking at, at you know, uh, symptoms, cause and consequences and everything in between um, from a very holistic point of view and understand mm -hmm. if you, you know, nudge A, is it going to be trickled down all the way to BCDE or whatever. So that convergence within the, the, the science space, but also the convergence between the tech, the science, uh, you know, and 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 also consumer devices. Uh, so now you literally, I'm, I'm looking at companies that are developing everything, you know, um, uh, small devices that you can wear at home with digital therapy, with AI, with uh, also the ability to tag that to uh, some um, uh, novel molecule that you would, you know, be also absorbing. So all of these things is, is literally that convergence. I've never seen it anywhere else before. All coming together to serve a mental health outcome. That's quite fascinating. And then there's also uh, a convergence around non-for-profit working with for-profit for mental health. Outcome. You have uh, new business models that are coming out because we have to. For example, the whole reimbursement um, business of mental health has to yet happen. Um, people are starting to look at mental health as a continuum a lot more. You know, it's just not one pill or one device, or it's it's really the continuum of mental health care, starting with prevention, actually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all of these things. Um, coming together um, and I think also uh, uh, a sense that it's pretty pretty exciting it's pioneering stuff mm. you know there's going to be so much innovation coming out um, and faster than we think in terms of being commerciable yeah. um, that it's it's just a fantastic time to be doing what yeah. I do well thank you for being so uh honest and sharing the personal connection that you have which is you know very very intense and i very sad and i'm sorry very sorry to understand what you and your family have had to go through and it touches so many people's lives um and i can see how understanding that motivation, that personal connection can really drive an urgency and an interest in leveraging and elevating and accelerating the research and commercialization of um, of therapies. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It, it's obviously something that, that keeps me very very uh, warm mm. <laughs> in, in what I do. Um, but I, I also see it as, you know, it's it's the way I can accompany them, mm -hmm. uh, and and it's and 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 it's also the way they sort of still are with me today, right? I mean, it's just this this idea that we're on that again, maybe same boat together, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. And there's a 
I guess people say last century, uh, we started with the era of the atom and then moved into the era of the bite. And now we're in the era of the molecule. And the potential for that is huge, Uh, scary potentially to some people, exciting to others, um, and somewhere in between for, you know, the the rain, the the large swath of people probably who um, will already be intersecting with what that means for us. One of the things I'm interested in is this central nervous system therapeutics. Mm -hmm. And you're an advisor to the Noetic Fund, and that uh, is something that they're investing in. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means, where the the state of that is right now, what's exciting about it? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, and you 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 touched on that, but uh, one of the, uh, the 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 fascinating and, and very exciting um, new innovation we have right now is psychedelics applied uh, to you know people who suffer from mental health conditions. So you know psychedelics has been around for in our world for 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 quite a few years already, and there are many, many, many types of psychedelics that are currently in trials, some of them very advanced, the most advanced in terms of being uh, uh, deregulated and and accepted by the FDA's MDMA uh, uh, for use in cases of uh, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, psilocybin is not far behind in terms of helping with anxiety, treatment resistant depression, uh, and many other possible um, conditions, actually. So you have currently, as I speak to you, hundreds of trials around the world uh, that are um, uh, studying the uh, uh, efficacy uh, and the safety of psychedelics for certain conditions, right? So, um, and bipolar is there, anorexia is there, um, you know, uh, schizophrenia, not quite yet, but, you know, uh, there are, there, it's, it's happening. So, and there is a, a tremendous momentum around that. Uh, there was, uh, from an investment perspective, a huge hype around uh, psychedelics and, um, you know, several IPOs um, in, in the last couple of years. That story has changed a little bit now, um, but that's more a market sort of, uh, you know, dynamic at play. What we see from a science perspective is very, very solid. Um, And I'm extremely bullish about psychedelics. Um, I wish we could do more in terms of research around psychedelics when it comes to involving um, uh, more diversity within the trials. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, we really need to make some progress there. What sort uh, of diversity is lacking? Ethnic, ethnic diversity and uh, women, more women. Uh, we don't have enough in the in the clinical trials uh, right now. What is the barrier to that? Why is that the case? I don't really know. Uh, I don't really know apart from you know the usual, which is that uh, you know the world seems to have been uh, uh, mostly uh, sort of. Uh, uh, powered and designed around uh, more male in power than women in power, perhaps. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's. I don't know. Yeah. The short answer is I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's just if you look if you look at the the the, the cohorts of of uh, you know 
trials um it's 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 quite uh, it's quite uh, it's quite something that needs to be addressed um so psychedelics is super exciting but you also have you know i'm i'm and with all of these things as with all innovation you have to be very um excited about the promise as much as you have to be uh, diligent and cautious about um uh, it's downfall and and you know it, it it's negative impact. So psychedelics that applies AI to mental health that applies as well, obviously. Um, and it's you know everyone talks about it at the moment, but uh, some of the companies I've looked at and we've looked at with Noetic uh, have been working with um, AI for a long time. I've actually dealt with the issues of hallucination, which. Funnily enough, right, is used both in psychedelics and yeah. in AI language, yeah. um, you know, for for some time. And we it's also a fascinating think about, term, isn't it? Yes, been adopted it is a, by AI. And when I heard is, that just a month or two ago for the first time as a description of what was going on with some of the unfettered uh, experiments in AI, that it is it's a it it makes you more aware of the linkages between consciousness of human exactly. consciousness and the exactly. language models yeah exactly exactly and uh so you know i think ai applied to um mental health um has some great great promise i mean it's already been used uh in reducing the uh, in by by a matter of years the length of the preclinical trials, right? Mm -hmm. So when you take a molecule in nature and you want to sort of find out whether it can be a cure for, you know, a particular disease um, uh, before you actually trial it in humans, right? So preclinical, uh, that's already been used. Uh, you, We also see it um, to very uh, good uh, end, um, when it comes to personalization of the digital therapies. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot that AI is going to be helping with, mm -hmm. uh, but also in terms of being able to allow for much more um, uh, efficacious uh, diagnostics, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you're going to be able to take into account so much more data and that are not just which is the problem in mental health often is that a lot of the data we have is self-reported. Mm. What we need is a lot more um, objective measure mm. of, you know, uh, how you feel and how you measure your progress or, or, or on the contrary. Um, so, you know, when it's not working and you're, you're, you're getting deeper into your, your, uh, your psychosis, for example. So mm. it's going to help with that, but we have also some, you know, tremendous promise when it comes to <clears throat> the ability to create very small devices mm -hmm. that can be used at home. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, happen to be wearing a Zoe sugar glu or a glucose monitor right now. Well, there you go. There you <laughs> go. So, you know, there's a suite of 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 uh, products there, uh, things that, uh, you know, you put on the body or you put as a wearable or things that you put on your head. Um, pills that are going to be able to track things. Uh, so, you know, all, all that sort of the the the, the nano, the, the 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 shrinking device uh, world um, applied to mental health and just connected to digital digital uh, tools is is very important in our space as well. And then you have you know innovations that are um, 
around uh, gene therapies and, you know, especially epigenetics, mm -hmm. uh, where we can, you know, perhaps uh, edit the expression of, of, of certain codes, especially relevant when it comes to trauma mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how that impacts, you know, mental health of, of individuals. Uh, there's lots of things, you know, brain-computer interface, um, if you want to go science fiction-esque a bit. But, you know, there is a lot. Um, and within the field of neuroscience, um, a lot of discovery, there's so much we still don't know about how the brain functions. So there's a lot of work being put also towards just that aspect of, you know, understanding um, how the brain works and how it works in relation to the rest of our bodies. Uh, so that's very interesting as well. Uh, and as an investor across this you know, very wide range of, of ways you could direct capital, mm. um, how do you think and assess the commercial versus the value, the, yeah. the, the, the goodness to, let's say, for shorthand, society? or And is there a tension that is that you found a way to mediate? Mm. Well, so if we took purely from a sort of model and very, you know, sort of something you can replicate, you know, over time, uh, I think when it comes to our space, uh, we have to be very, very deep into the science and the efficacy or the proof, uh, the evidence that it works, right? So usually it boils down to understanding the science very fundamentally um, and for that, um, I've I've been lucky that I've been able to build a network now of you know scientists and 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 uh, researchers who clinicians and, and so the whole range of science let's just say who are able to say well the molecule the pharma side of thing works but also then talk about a clinician who then you know can add his or her or their you know perspective to this and so that whole for me, the world of science is, is all of this, right? It's the stuff that happens in the lab, in the tube, um, and, and in the computational models, and then in the in 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 uh, interaction with the patient, right? So I can tap the knowledge of these people. And at Noetic, uh, we, we have a, a pretty extraordinary network of such, you know, uh, experts. So that's very, very useful. And also because of relationships we have with some uh, reputed institution uh, in Canada and, and in the rest of the world. So that helps a lot. And that's really step one. The other thing that are very important, and I think you can apply that to other field of investment, but for me that have always been absolute things I could not, if I didn't have confidence in those things, I would not invest. So, so first is evidence, right? So the proof that this thing works. The second is, uh, the user experience. Mm -hmm. So that's really very important. And in mental health, a user can be uh, a clinician, a patient, an institution, uh, you know, uh, a, a payer. It can be all sorts of people, right? So, so it's a whole value chain. Absolutely. The delivery absolutely. Of that absolutely. So mm -hmm. if the startup is targeting a particular user, understand that user, but chances are, uh, you know, if, if you're a drug company and you're developing something that will help bipolar two people, you're going to have to sell it to someone before it gets to that bipolar two patient. Mm -hmm. So the user experience is also there 
is understanding who you sell to, what is their satisfaction, why do they take your product over another one. And so UX as a whole, right? Not just, sorry, UX for user experience as a whole, um, not just in terms of, you know, what it does to the end user. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the other thing that uh, I focus on a lot. And then uh, the third thing is, is, uh, you know, who's going to pay, how you're going to sell, right? So uh, I'm, I'm in the venture capital world, right? So I, I invest in companies who I think are going to grow and make revenue and, um, you know, return on investment, right? So, and incidentally, for me, that's never been, I've never had this kind of slightly French guilt of, you know, it's bad to make money, right? I'm very comfortable with uh, the value of making money when it helps the greater possible amount of people. Um, And also you can reinvest that money into doing more of the same thing. Right. So so I think that's that's uh, that's the other thing I pay a lot of attention to. And then when it comes down to so that's state stage one. Right. You can't pursue any investment if you don't have those three things. Uh, And then stage two is really go very deep with the the founders Mm. and the management. So uh, understanding how they think of their business what is the how do they how are they able to express their ambition uh, what are their measure of you know success um, but also how they interact with each other um, mm. you know and you really need to talk to everyone I think it's important to have that relationship with a company you invest in is that they know they can rely on you and that if you are investing in them it's because you believe that they are going to be able to go through thick and thin, right? Uh, And that they are going to be able to ask for your help if they Mm -hmm. think you can be helpful. Mm. So that's what I look for as well. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes very early on in conversations, you know, I hear like someone who is on autopilot and who keeps reciting the same investor pitch and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I I tried to interrupt early and sort mm-hmm. of try to go somewhere else because mm-hmm. I'm, I can't see anything through that. You know, there's also a synergy element, of course, in once you start investing in multiple companies, yeah. um, you know, does it serve the, 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 the fund strategy because we want to invest in company at different stages? We want to have different innovations serving the same condition. Um, you know, we, there are many ways to look at the portfolio, but it needs to make sense as a whole, yeah. as much as you know, just one company um, on its and, own. and the other. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, but at at the end of the day, uh, it will be a feeling. Mm. To be more specific, um, I think I, I am very, I am quite um, intuitive, so mm-hmm. I work with my guts a lot. Mm-hmm. Tell us, we're going to come back to the, to finish up with three or four quick fire questions in a few minutes. Yeah. But I thought we might just um, hear a little bit about how you have maintained that joy and joie de vivre um, in the course of a very busy work life and career and raising children and, and how any sort of tips to how you made it all work um, mm. <laughs> and the balance in the family life of of being an investor 
and especially as a mother and investor. Any reflections on that? Well, being an investor is a lot uh, less uh, taxing than being an entrepreneur. That's for sure. It's not the same pace. It's not the same demand on a daily schedule. Um, So, yeah, that's a lot easier from that perspective. So actually Uh, women or or others who want to be involved with families, being an investor is something they should think about. In fact, women should never think that they can't do into anything, can do anything or go into anything. The same any man or, you know, any individual uh, should think that's never a good thing to think. You have to find out who you are and what works for you and what gives you all that joy. But to to your question um, of of how where I find the joy in things, I think I always have cultivated a little bit of lightness in how I was doing, a sort of playfulness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that's probably something that came from you know my family and and my parents and and having five brothers and sisters and being the oldest and you know all of these things. But I had to play with them. I had to. Not that I had to, but, you know, it just happened naturally. Um, so I think an, an ability to yeah cultivate that lightness of being, not to quote a, a book, um, is is uh, was very helpful to me because um, I did go through very, very hard times. Mm-hmm. But uh, to and also to cry like a lot. Mm-hmm. I was never and I still not. Um, embarrassed by my wobbles and my vulnerability and my ability to say so and I'm getting a little bit better at being able to ask for help I was not very good at that for the best part of my life but now it's changing a bit primarily because I've I I I keep being amazed and wonderfully so at the depth of uh uh, knowledge and sensitivity and kindness and 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 beauty in, in a lot of people. So um, yeah, that really is a, a cons- constant source of amazement to me. Like how resourceful and beautiful people can be, and plenty who are neither of the above. But you know, <laughs> there's enough enough who are, um, and and that's 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 the joy. The joy is right there also. And then, you know, just really appreciating the little things of every day, the little, little things. And Susan, I'm saying this to you. I'm, again, very aware of the fact that this comes from a privileged place, right? It's not easy to be able to appreciate the little things when your life is just a constant, you know, struggle and verbal abuse and, you know, to, to name just that, but, you know, and every other horrible thing that could happen in one's life. But I, I, I still think that if for me, this is, this is very, very important and something that I try to uh, educate my children about and, and, and the people I care about is really to try to find that. And, you know, I know people who are very poorly and very uh, in, in bad places and they just don't have access to that, that ability to, you know, appreciate the little things, you know, the taste of a good coffee and, you know, the color, the the green of a leaf, the wind in the trees, the, you know, the someone singing in a bus when you're going to work, whatever, 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. The little gifts that the little, the little things. Uh, yeah. Bring so much pleasure. And I could genuinely spend the rest of the afternoon talking with you because you have, and I guess I would say what's really come across to me in this conversation is just the curiosity, the openness, the real passion for understanding and living and trying to bring your own connectivity with people, with ideas, um, to serve something bigger right now, particularly to bring uh, the innovations in science and understanding of mental health to help people who are suffering and to help families and the people of of friends and others in the network of people who are suffering to to make all of that a bit less obscure and to harness the technologies that we have for alleviating some of those that pain and um, it's really really exciting to hear how you're focused and contributing to that so um i I know that listeners are going to uh, really benefit from being inspired by that and learning a little bit about uh, what you're doing and how you're doing it. Because I think how you do things is quite different. And for me anyway, really elevating my my uh, approach to things. So thank you very much. Um, well, that's very, very, very kind of you to to say that, Susanna. Can we finish up with my my quick fire questions? Okay. okay. So, do you have a favorite band, singer, or album? And why? oh yeah, uh, this Pink is the Floyd. Desert Island Disc question. Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. And yeah. The the Wall or which? Oh, the album wise, I mean, I I, I listen to them all the time. Uh, mm. They they really cover all my moods and and more. Mm. <laughs> So I love it. I haven't heard someone say that for a while. So I'm gonna... it's both uh, it for me, it's both escapism mm-hmm. and grounding. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be either or. Um, and I can also dance uh, on 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 them. Uh, not it's not they're not great dancing <laughs> band, but uh, I, I have better ones for that, which I do on a regular basis, by the Who's way. Who's your favorite dancing band? Oh, it's really flavor of the moment. Uh, very pop stuff, you know, things that the kids would put on yeah. or uh, things that Spotify feeds me. But yeah, oh, I dance. I'm, I'm a dancer. This is the first mention of dancing on the podcast. So I'm thrilled. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Investing podcast yeah. with dancing yeah. brought them to it. Yay. <laughs> um, is there a film or novel that you've read or, or seen or read more than uh, twice? Yes, uh, many films, hundreds of them, too many to cite. But a book, I think the book I've read the most is Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, I don't know if you know it. But I know it, it but is, I haven't read it. It is a beautiful language. It is extremely funny and clever. And it's all about love. Mm. Wow. But it is it is really every time I read it, I find something new. Favorite quote and why? Oh, favorite quote. Um, I don't really have a favorite quote. I kind of I, I find there is, you know, a, I pretty much find a quote in everything I read. You know, I, I, I just 
I keep being um, uh, impressed and, and, and some things resonate one day and others another day. And so I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very open to being amazed by quote all the time, but there is one thing that I, and perhaps it's a good tie with um, what we're talking about earlier today, but uh, she's, she's, uh, she's dead now, but she's called uh, France Carré and, she wrote this book, which is called, uh, it's like a collection of some stuff that she wrote, uh, I think as a columnist or something. And it's called uh, The Salt and the Wind, Le Sel et le Vent, we say in French. And first of all, I think it, uh, it's a good metaphor for me because I feel both very grounded, like earthy, like the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. And in the wind, you know, with the kind of back to the first imagery of, you know, being in the wind a bit um, and 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 putting myself in the wind back uh, on a regular basis. But so I, I love the title of the book. And there's something she says around um, the fact that if you look at people, try to look at people differently, and then you will see that they are. So it's something like this. They are, they are like me and they are like no one else mm. at the same time. Mm. And I, I quite like that. I think you can apply that to a lot of things um, That's really that you can find something, you know, uh, of, of a similarity in every one of us, uh, something that you can relate to, um, but also appreciate that um, there is something particularly unique about them, like no one else, mm-hmm. and that you also need to cherish that part. And to shout out to other podcasters, do you have a favorite podcast? Oh, I, I've I've listened to many, um, but at the moment I listen to the rest is politics uh, quite a lot. Uh, but I, I think it's part of my English or Great Britain education. Um, I uh, I've listened to Tim Ferriss for years and years and years on and off, Sam Harris on and off, Huberman Lab. Um, so you know, it goes it goes in sort of uh, waves of areas of interest. Mm, and all the, those last two have some um, overlap with the uh, psychedelic interest and of mental course. health care as well, which is fascinating. They've done a lot for yeah. that. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Marine, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to speak with you. Um, thank you for being so open and um, expansive and taking an adventure on this with me. So. It was an adventure. <laughs> thank you very much. New Shores. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. I have a great uh, title, I think, for the podcast with the adventure with wind in your hair. I love that. Okay. Well, <laughs> there's something to look forward to. Exactly. <laughs> thank so you, we'll, Susanna. Yes. Take care, Maureen. Look forward to speaking soon. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. for joining me for this episode of Being Invested. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. If so, please subscribe and tell your friends. Also, if you know someone in the financial markets who would make a great guest on the podcast, please message me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Many thanks to our sound engineer, Alexander Russell. Our art designer is Sophie Hardy, and this fabulous catchy tune is from Tom McKeon. 
Thanks, folks, and see you next time. <laughs>